0: The True Crime Beyond Bad podcast may contain material that is of a violent and graphic nature. This podcast may not be suitable for some people. You have been warned. Hello, and welcome to the True Crime Beyond Bad podcast. My name is Rob, and I am your host. I hope you're all doing well and enjoying the podcast. We're up to episode seven, and on this episode, we'll be focusing on the Australian serial rapist and killer, Adrian Ernest Bailey. The prolific rapist and murderer began his life of crime in 1990, with the rape of a 16-year-old friend of his sister and coming to an end with the murder of Jill Ma in 2012. My website is coming along nicely and all episodes are available for download or you can stream them there as well. I encourage you to visit the website and leave a comment. I have just created an email address where you're welcome to send suggestions for future episodes. The email address is truecrimebeyondbad, all one word, at gmail.com. Join me at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All links will be provided in the show notes. This podcast is available on all your favourite platforms and apps. So, grab your favourite beverage, sit back and relax. This is True Crime Beyond Bad. A big thanks to Lana McCall for her research and writing of this week's episode. If you like what you hear, please check out the podcast she is partnered with, True Crime Horror Story. I personally am subscribed and it is fantastic, so go check it out. This week we're going to be talking about an Australian man named Adrian. He raped countless women and killed just one. His crimes scarred the people for life and their loved ones. Adrian was born as Adrian Edwards on July 12th, I've also seen the 14th, 1971. His name will come up later on. He had four younger siblings, three sisters and a brother. Not much is known of his early childhood, other than he was abused by his father as well as an older female relative. As he became an adult, in age at least, He married his partner, who happened to be pregnant, April the 21st, 1990. From my research, I was able to find his tendency to rape started around age 19, specifically June 8, 1990, where he held a teen hostage in his home and raped her. Just 10 days later, June 18, he was arrested and charged with a rape, but released on bail. Adrenaline rushed through his system. He evaded prison time, this time, and he struck again, August 30, 1990. He attacked a 17-year-old girl while she was walking home from a bus stop. He poked her in the eyes several times and ripped off her clothes. She was able to identify him on September 30th, and he was charged with attempted rape, but alas, again, released on bail. I get that it was the 90s, but I can't help but think, of a few different things. One, why was he released on bail? Was it because the victims didn't want to testify? Or was it because the police just didn't want to press charges? Was it that there wasn't enough evidence? Why didn't something greater, something more preventative, happen to Adrian Edwards? October of 1990, Adrian's daughter was born. This didn't deter him from continuing to attack women and on December 12, 1990, he struck again. He had a pretty solid ritual. He finds a young girl or woman, particularly walking down the street, in this case a 16-year-old hitchhiker, and he attacks them. Just five days later, the woman was able to identify him, but to no avail, absolutely nothing happened. June of 1991, he served his first prison sentence. He pled guilty and was sentenced to five years with a minimum of three years. This was for, you guessed it, the rape of two teens and the attempted rape of another. I hate to say this next part just as much as you hate to hear it. He was released just 22 months after he pled guilty. 22 months for two rapes of two teenagers and attempted rape of another. Blasphemy. I wish I was making this up. He started and completed an apprenticeship and qualified as a pastry cook. I can tell you right now, I don't ever want a child rapist making me any type of baked goods, or really any food at all. In 1995, he and his wife split. She took the children. At some point, Adrian and his wife had another child. They are six years apart in age. And he started a new relationship. In court documents, she was referred to as T.N. They had two kids together. 1996-97, T.N. and Adrian have their child. By July of 2000, he was no longer Adrian Edwards because he got his name legally changed to Adrian Bailey. There has never really been a reason from his mouth why he did this, but I suspect it's to hide the fact that he was a child rapist. Two months later, not even, September 1st, 2000, another rape. His first in a string of six women in the St Kilda area that lasted until March of 2001. All of the women were taken to his car, driven to a lane and violently raped in his car. I'll talk later about one case that came from around this time. Court documents refer to the victim as G.H., Though his name changed, Adrian certainly didn't. In 2001, Adrian spread the seed with TN again and they welcomed another child. April 26, 2002, Adrian is jailed for 11 years with no possibility of parole for eight years for attacking those five women. March 17, 2010, Adrian is released on parole. At this point, his marriage to TN ended and he began yet another relationship in October of 2011. They lived in the back room of a house in Coburg. Come February 2012, he appeared in Geelong Magistrates Court. What for? He king hit a 20-year-old man, leaving him unconscious with a broken jaw. He pled guilty and was sentenced to three months in prison. Appealing from that, he was released from custody until the appeal could be heard. At that time, he was working as a labourer, digging holes for piping. In 2012, there were additional rapes, April 5th and July 15th. These will be mentioned later as the rapes of BC and HC respectively. September 22, 2012, 29-year-old Gillian Jill Maher, an Irish ABC staffer, was having a great night out with friends. She went bar to bar, just again having fun. She was in Brunswick, a suburb of Melbourne, at Etiquette Bar, just off Sydney Road. She was leaving just around one thirty am when she started to walk home after rejecting a colleague's offer to escort her. It was only a 700 metre walk and her husband was waiting for her at their shared flat. Ten minutes. That's the amount of time it took to walk from the bar to her home. Unfortunately, Jill would never make it home. CCTV cameras caught her on her journey, minute by minute, passing miscellaneous shops and bars. From the footage, police would note that there was no sign she was affected by alcohol. Just as Jill passes a sign for Jim Malakos' real estate agency, another person is on the CCTV cameras now. He would later be identified as Adrian Bailey. He was walking behind her. He was reeling from an argument he had just had with his girlfriend, strolling to ease the emotional toll. They stop. Adrian confronts her outside the Duchess Boutique, a formal clothing store. It was just before 1.38am. She only needed a few more minutes before she would be home in the safety of her husband's arms, 400 metres away from not dying. Jill continues her work with Bailey until they get to Hope Street. He grabs her and in an unnamed way, he rapes her and continues to strangle her with sustained force. He kills her. This is not to be the end of Jill's story. He leaves her body and heads home to get a shovel. He returns to the alley around 4.22am. She's placed into a car and he leaves again three minutes later. She's found 50 kilometers away at Gisborne South. He digs a shallow grave and dumps her body there, only to be found six days later. September 27th, 2012 at 2.08pm, Adrian is arrested for Jill's murder. In his interview, he whimpers as he relays the information and calls himself a big sissy man. Theories around the motives are that because of the things he experienced as a child, he was almost trying to prove to himself his masculinity and his means of doing that was raping women because that's more masculine than overpowering those who aren't as strong as you. By June 13 he was sentenced to life in prison with a 35-year minimum sentence. This still isn't the end of the story of Adrian Bailey. Because of the wide news coverage of the murder of Jill Mar, previous victims of Adrian's started to come forward with their stories. Adrian was now facing three separate rape trials to start July 2014. The first rape, mentioned earlier as that of GH, is as follows. Sometime between October 13 and December 1 of 2000, a woman was brutally raped by Adrian. To make it easy, I will continue to refer to the victim as G.H. It was around the time of G.H.'s 18th birthday. She was addicted to heroin, and to feed her habit, she would occasionally engage in street prostitution. She had the hook-up, her boyfriend was a drug dealer, and he would typically provide her with poison heroin. For some reason that day, he was holding out on her. She suspects it was to watch her suffer. Drug withdrawal is no joke, so I hear. She had to get drugs, but how? She went to a health service for prostitutes called the Prostitutes Collective, located at the time on Inkerman Street in St Kilda. I will post a link to additional information on this. In the show notes, according to the New Zealand Prostitutes Collective, their aim is to give you information that can support your rights, safety, health and well-being. They provide services such as condoms, lube and other materials to promote safe, consensual sex. It's a service provided by sex workers for sex workers. After visiting, she walked along Grey Street in St Kilda. In her hands, she was reading a pamphlet that was obtained from the clinic. The pamphlet was called Ugly Mugs and had details of bad things that happened to other women on the street. She was soon approached by Adrian, riding in his two-door red mini Minor car. He asked her if she wanted to make some money. G.H. would later describe the man as having long, spiky hair, ranger in colour, Ranga means red after a orangutan and orange hairy arms. She said he looked like a normal everyday guy. He was wearing blue jeans and although she was iffy on the colour, she thinks the shirt was also blue. It was only her third job as a prostitute. She got into Adrian's car and about 27 minutes into the drive, she mentioned the pamphlet she was reading and saying, there's so many bad men out there and look at all the attacks. Then as quickly as she said it, Adrian responds, not with words at first, but with a punch to the face. He then says, You know what? I am one of them bad men. He continues to drive her to a secluded laneway, much like the one where Jill was murdered, in the suburb of Elwood, and he parked so close to the wall that there was no way the passenger door would even open, and only the driver's side door. He called her a junkie slut, and before I get into this, I want to issue a warning that I'm going to be describing sensitive scenes relating to sexual abuse, so if you are traumatised by this, you may want to skip ahead. Adrian starts by fingering her and then gets a condom from his glove box. GH would later recall that the glove box was full of condoms, which was weird. He dragged her to the back seat, and while she was pleading for a life, has violent penile vaginal sex with her. After that, he had really bad anal sex with her, such that she was horrified and in agony. She sees another vehicle pull into the laneway and GH starts smashing on the window, hoping the driver would save her from her circumstance. The car did stop, but Adrian wasn't about to be arrested. So he shoves his fingers down her throat and told her that he would kill her if she didn't stop screaming and hitting the window. After an agonising 30 minutes, Adrian takes her purse, gets her name and address from her driver's licence and drives away with her, heading away from the city. Where was he going? GH was not about to be killed, not today. Somehow she manages to escape from his car and is then picked up by a woman. The woman wanted to take GH to the police station. But in fear that the police may not believe her, G.H. declines. She is instead taken to Balaclava Station and is met by her boyfriend in the city. When she describes what had happened to her, he didn't believe her and proceeds to call her a slut and then punches her in the face. A few days after the attack, she goes back to the prostitute's collective and was told by a woman working there to report the matter to the police. They also suggested that she write it down on paper and put it on a noteboard board. A way for women to warn one another of the bad men on the streets. She did, and one thing she described was that he was evil-eyed during the attack. After years of living with the pain of what happened to her, the stigma of prostitutes not to report what happened to them. GH almost forgot until Facebook had an article which included a picture of Adrian. His face was unmistakable. He was her rapist from all those years ago. She made an official statement to a senior detective on October 29, 2012. During his trial, Adrian's girlfriend, T.N., tried to give evidence swaying the existence of such a rape, claiming that the car was a completely different colour. It was apparently stripped back to bare metal and painted pearl white. It had been in the shop from August 2000 and wasn't even being driven until before Christmas 2000. How could a white car possibly be mistaken for red? The next case was of BC on April 5, 2012 which again I will continue to refer to the victim as the court documents do, BC. A 25-year-old sex worker was invited to Adrian's car. He proceeds to drive to a dead-end street. After the pair are secluded, he took off his belt, pinned her down and started to press hard up against her throat. While raping the woman, he said, ''This is stupid. You need someone looking out for you.'' She was later able to identify him by his tattoos and the evidence of a crack she made in the windshield whilst trying to defend herself during the attack. The third case was that of HS, which took place Saturday 14th, 2012. Again, continuing to refer to her as HS. The 27-year-old Dutch backpacker had just arrived in April of 2012 and was living in a backpacker place located in Balaclava with 17 other people. That's a bunch of backpackers. On the night of July 14, around 11pm, she and two of her flatmates went to the Elephant and Wheelbarrow Hotel to meet some other housemates. Before leaving for the hotel, she pre-gamed, as they call it in the US, and she had a couple of wines, and while she was at the hotel, she had a couple of beers. She left alone around 2.30am, and unlike Jill, who walked steadily, She was a bit tipsy or drunkish. She didn't go back to the flat, however. Instead, she went down Fitzroy Street to the Esplanade, where it turns into Carlisle Street. She gets to about 20 metres down the road when suddenly, a car pulls out and stops. The man started talking to her from the passenger door. She said the car was small and looked like a Volkswagen Polo. She thought the car was red, but it was dark, so she couldn't be definitive. Adrian says to her, ''Okay, well that car in front of you is following you, so can I give you a safe ride home?'' How astute. If only she knew what she was getting herself into. At this point, it was about 3am. She said the interior was really new and smelt new, and the seats and everything else were black in colour, and in the middle, there was an analogue clock. During her testimony... She also said that there was a digital clock closer to the driver than to her with a blue screen with dark numbers and didn't think the dash had an analogue clock. Adrian's girlfriend, TN, said that his car had a completely black interior. Once she got in, they went to Westbury Street and went into a parking place away from the road. While sitting there, without warning, he jumped at her. He started kissing her putting his tongue down her throat. It all happened very fast, she recalled. She was flabbergasted and in distress. She screamed at him to let her go and tried her hardest to protect herself. She tried to leave through the door and to deter her from leaving, he grabbed her hand and really clutched her into her seat. He continued to assault by smacking her face and putting his hand over her mouth trying to muffle her yells and screams for help. He held her by the throat to hold her back and told her that she couldn't get out and nobody would hear her screams. In a move similar to the one of the other rapes, he took her passport and hid it from her. He lifted her top, unbuttoned her jeans and ever so slightly pulled them down. HS was not giving up. She tried to push him off but he takes her hand, places it on his penis and makes her rub it for a few seconds. He then instructed her to take the right leg out of her jeans. Once her leg is free from the safety of her pants, he pulls down her underwear and she says that's when he got aggressive. He rapes her vaginally for five minutes or so. I predict the longest five minutes of her life up until that point. She's not just a fighter, she's a smart thinker. So HS plays into what he wants. She believed if she were to satisfy him, she would live. So in an unprecedented move, she pretends to willingly take part in the intercourse, knowing full well it's just a part. She's not really enjoying this. She suggests that the pair head back to her house, claiming that the car was not a good place to do this. And even though she knew she had 17 roomies, she tells Adrian that she lives alone. Gold star for you, HS. He stops what he's doing, pulls himself out of HS and advises her not to put her pants on. She drapes the loose leg of her pants over her leg, trying to keep her dignity. As they arrive, he let her put her undies and pants back on. As they exited the car... He holds her hand and they walk towards her home. He's not chancing losing her, not today. As she opens the door, she ran straight to the bathroom and some of her roommates were in the living room, witnesses to the stranger at the door. He takes a few steps into the home and then jolts out. It would be the last time he saw her. She tells all her housemates about the attack and mirrors that she thought she was going to die. She called the police the same night and said she was force fucked. The information she gives police on the description was Australian man, around 35 years old, of medium build, not too high, about 170 to 172 centimetres, 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 6, and was Caucasian. I think like white skin, blonde hair, clean shaven. She also said he had gel in his hair, spiked and that his head was sort of square-shaped. Sounds familiar, no? Adrian argues that he was at a football game that day, with his girlfriend and others. They left and tried to get back into a bar, where they were drinking earlier. He and his lover then argued and he ends up driving her home to Coburg in the early morning hours. She was so upset with him that instead of letting him sleep with her, she kicks him out. He goes outside, and the next time she sees him is when she wakes up and finds him on the floor. He tells her that he slept in his car, which we know wasn't true. Because of the way Adrian was identified by GH, using recent photographs instead of a photograph from him at the time of the rape, he won an appeal. His sentence was brought down from 43 to just 40. In resentencing, the Court of Appeal judges said that his offending was horrid and left little optimism concerning his prospect for rehabilitation. They also said, over many years, the applicant has shown a depraved predilection to attack, degrade and humiliate women. Jail, thankfully, hasn't been all rainbows for Adrian. Just recently, May 10, 2019, Adrian was in a fight with a man named Stephen James Hunter. Stephen was in jail for stabbing two women and murdering them. This was Victoria's Max Security Bowen Prison. Adrian ends up getting stabbed in the debacle, but I don't imagine too many people are shedding tears for him. Because of this, as well, it changed the ruling on the Sex Offenders Register. At the time Jill was killed, Adrian was considered a serious sexual offender. But for some reason, he wasn't on the Sex Offenders Registry. Now the law is that it is mandatory to register pedophiles. It is discretionary, however, to list offenders whose victims are adults. So that's what we have this week. A man despite his charming looks and normalcy, turned out to be a sick rapist and killer. I continue to wonder, though, what was it about Jill that cracked Adrian? Did she fight back too hard? Was he in fear for himself? Did he get bored of just raping women that he now needed to kill them? Or was it random, a freak accident? He just meant to strangle her and was too rough. No matter the reason... None of the women brutally attacked by Adrian Bailey or Adrian Edwards deserved what happened to them. And I'll tell you what, I hope he has a horrible time in jail. So that's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully you'll tune in for the next episode. Uh, That'll be in a couple of weeks' time. Go check out all the social media. Come and join us. Hopefully, we'll catch up with you on the next episode. Stay safe, and we'll catch you then. See ya. got their magnums. They want to hurt the poor people in the street. I've got my magnums. I'm ready. I'm loaded.